Welcome back for another week. A Moadim Simcha in the middle of Pesach. Uh, our learning of Paratet Vav is about Yaakov Alevi, Moshe ben Yosef, my grandfather, whose yard site is on Shvishel Pesach. Refua Shleimeth Aleya Batsipora, if you're following the news, she is the, the mother from Ephrat, whose two daughters were killed on Friday in a terrorist attack, and she is desperately in need of Tfilos. In, in just a few days, her Tehillim group has had 65,000 Prakmiv Tehillim read. It's over 430 times through Tehillim. She and her family should have Irifuat Nefesh and Irifuat Aguf. And Tilabatya Barchayatova, Brachavikal Barachal Gita, Yudidichayim, Benaviva Rifkachaya, Moshalimelech, Levi Ben Basha, Shalom and Chayas Sara, and Shadokim for all those in need. We find ourselves in the beginning of Perak Tedvav. We, we, we don't really have much of a story, but we have the Goral, and the Goral tells us the land of Yehuda. If you look at this map, beautiful map from uh, the Navidas Mikra, you can see basically that r- the red line up top, the red line below, is probably a pretty good sketch of the land of Yehuda. It's possible that Yehuda had a little bit more. There are differing opinions. You can see that there are lines going further down. That's another possibility, the borders of Eretz Yisrael. But Bigadol, it seems as though this area between the upper red line and the bottom lower, the lower red line, are the land and the property of Yehuda. Let's try to understand a little bit where Yehuda's land is. We, we will do that by going through the Psukim. So we're told what is the um, the southernmost border of Shevet Yehuda. It is right down here below the Dead Sea. We have two deserts, and one of them is the desert of of uh, of Tzin, and that is the southernmost border. And then we work our way up a little bit to a natural border place, the dead the Dead Sea. So the southernmost tip that is facing the Negev, that is exactly where we are going to start. You can see as the red line comes out of Yamamelah. And if you go from there, from the Negev to Maleakravim, now we're going to slowly work our way across. We would have Maleakravim of our Tzina Valat Mineged Le Kadesh Barnea. Then we hit Kadesh Barnea. Now there are differing opinions as to where Kadesh Barnea is. That's one possibility, which is really the, the middle of that area. Another possibility is that we are farther over to the right, closer to the border. Um, Dat Nikra, which is a really, really great job of sharing the locations. If it suggests also that it might be Petra, which when searching a map, it's actually a little bit further over, probably on the other side of that line. And then where do we go? And then we end up turning by Karka. And then we follow the line as it goes, Kadesh Barneya, and it goes all the way to Gvul Mitzrayim, which would be um, somewhere in the vicinity of 
beyond the Gaza Strip, maybe El Arish, those areas of uh, of the Sinai as it is uh, closer to the Egyptian border. Ugvul Kedma, now let's move to the eastern border, is Yam HaMelech Ad Kitzei Hayarden. It moves upward north to the edge of the Jordan. The Jordan feeds into Yam HaMelech, and so it is, as the Jordan feeds into Yam HaMelech, that is where Yehuda's Nachla starts. Um, and then we're told, Ugvul Efat Zafo Na Milashona Yam and now we're going up to Beit Chagla. Now this is, this is, such an amazing idea that Rashi suggests. He says, why is it Allah Gvul? Everything is up, 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 up. Well, where was our starting point? Our starting point was Yam HaMelech. Yam HaMelech is certainly the lowest place um, in Israel and possibly the lowest place on planet Earth. Uh, the, the drive down to Yam HaMelech is fascinating because even though kids tend not to be excited about long car rides, when they're in there and they see the the, the markers, not the mile marker, but the mile, the meters below sea level, they see, whoa, wait, we were here, and now we're lower, and they see the numbers, 100, 150, 200, 225, and you get to follow the numbers as they go lower and lower and lower until you hit the lowest point. Well, if our starting point is Yamamelach, we are below sea level quite a bit. So now we're working our way back upwards. So, Valagvul Beit Chagla, we go to Beit Chagla, so we go to Beit Chagla, and then we go north to Beit Arava, and then from there we go to Evan Boan Ben Ruvain. So what is Evan Boan Ben Ruvain? So the Radak shares that, that that is a place that perhaps the master of the place's name was Boan Ben Ruvain. So there was a rock there, and that was how we were able to determine this is his area, and that was also a, a key marker if you wanted to know where the borders were going. Beit Chagla, we still actually can go visit it today. There is a Jewish community, a very small Jewish community that is outside of Yericho called Beit Chagla, and they uh, they are very much connected there to the Yericho and the, to Yericho and the past um, of Yericho. And then we're, we're working our way again up, up, up to Devir, to Emek Achor, to, the, it turns towards Gilgal, which is by Maleadumim. Now Maleadumim is closer to Yushalayim. Gilgal is north of Yericho. So it can't be that the Gilgal that we know is the same, is the same one, says Dat Mikra. Dat Mikra says it's another Gilgal, which is the reason why it's giving us all of these points of reference. Otherwise, just tell us Gilgal, we'll know, we'll know Gilgal. Perhaps it's possible that it's across Maleadumim, because it's all in the desert and everything looks out from Maleadumim, you can see far off. So in some directions, you'll see across the Jordan, you'll see Harnavo. In other directions, perhaps you will see Gilgal. And then from there, the border goes up to May, Ein Shemesh. It's possible that there was a city and a spring. Both of them important things. Now we're moving into Yerushalayim. How do we know? Because we know Gay Ben Hinom is the valley across from the uh, old city. And it's by El Ketefa Yerushi, by the area of the Yerushi, Minagav Yerushalayim. And south of that is Yerushalayim. 
And it moves its way towards Amek Rifaim in the north. Now, Amek Rifaim, for those people that are familiar with Yerushalayim, you'll say, Amek Rifaim, I know Amek Rifaim. It's a street in Yerushalayim. Nikra says that actually is an area that is near Gei Ben Hinom. If you're walking from the area of of Amek Rifaim to the Kotel, you will possibly find yourself walking through the area of Gay Ben Hinom. Okay, beautiful. So that's what we have here. Now we're we're working our way that way, and we have the mountains of Ephron. That also such a helpful resource in a parak like this says Yerushalayim, Hebron, there are mountains in between. Perhaps Ephron at the time what when he was ruler had some mountains named after him. And so that's why they're called the mountains of Ephraim. And that takes us a little bit more west. And we're in Kiryat Yarim. We're moving our way down towards Beit Shemesh. And then from there to Timnavi, uh, and we move our way across towards the coast, Yavnel, Ekron, and that is the end. And what is our final, our final border is the Mediterranean. So we have the Mediterranean is the border. Then we'll just follow the coast down to Gavul Mitzrayim, the same way that we follow the Dead Sea on the other side. And those bodies of water become the pillars on both sides. And then you follow the mountains and the cities along the northern ridge. And that's what takes you across from Yericho, which is in the flatlands, to Yerushalayim up in the mountains, back down to Beit Shemesh, which is more of the Shvela, the valley. And from there, you end off on the coast. And in the south, you're using really a desert. It's just the ex- flat expanse of the desert that takes you across. And that, my friends, is the borders of Yehuda. We find ourselves, though, in Pasod Yud Gimel with a story. The beginning is borders. The end is cities, more borders. And in the middle, we have this little story. It's a cute story that's tucked away in the middle. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what's going on here? Why does this story find itself here? And I think it's important, before you read the story, to understand that this story didn't happen here. Rashi points out, Hebron wasn't conquered. We know Hebron was, was destroyed uh, by Yoshua, but it was not fully conquered. It's written here because of the Chalukah. It's because of the division of the land and everything that comes with it, it's in here. But the question is, is there something more to it? Is it more than it's just a convenient place to tell us Hebron was part of the process that it's stuck in here? So now let's take a look at the story. And while we read the story, let's see if this story kind of rings a bell. Maybe there's another story or two or more that we know that sounds like this. was given the chilek of in, in, in the tribe of Yehuda 
from the mouth of God through Yeshua, he got Kiryat Arba. Arba, Avianak, he's the giant in Chevron. And what does Kalib do? Kalib conquers the land. He conquers the sons of the giants. And he goes up from there to Devir. And originally, Devir was called Kiryat Sefer. By Yomer Kalev, Kalev makes the following announcement. Whoever conquers Kiryat Sefer and takes it over, I need it, I route it out, nobody there. He will get my wife, my daughter, Achsa's wife. Wow, amazing, what a prize. You're going to get the Nasi, Kalev's daughter, as a prize if you can conquer it. And Atniel ben Knaz, the half-brother of Kalev, he does it. And he gets Achsa, the daughter of Kalev, as a wife. Okay, so what does this story sound like? So there's a couple possibilities of what this story sounds like. Some people might be saying, wait a second, I know this story. This story most sounds like Shaul. Shaul wants to be Goliath. He is totally outmatched. He has no idea what he's going to do. And nobody wants to fight Goliath. And Goliath's like, bring it on. I'll take I'll take on any one of you. And he says, whoever is able to beat Goliath will get my wa- my daughter, Michal, as a wife. And of course, David is the one that says, all right, I'll do it. Okay, that's that's the story that's most similar. But of course, we know that the Eliezer story also sounds a little bit like this. It's a person that says, I'm looking for a wife for someone. I'm looking to marry off my child. And I'm going to create a set of circumstances. And if you can somehow pull off these circumstances, the girl is yours. But what if it's the wrong person? Can you imagine? What if Eliezer had found a girl that met all the criteria, but she had all kinds of flaws, damages, she came from a terrible family? Who knows? It's all a possibility. Kalev also, he opens himself up. What if... The Arnold Schwarzenegger type, some really strong guy goes and says, no problem, I will level the town of Kiryat Sefer, simcha, and I'm going to marry your wife, your daughter. So now what happens? Kalev, the God, one of the Gedole Ador, his son-in-law is going to be some guy that's not appropriate. Shaul also, Shaul opens himself up. Yeah, he locks out, he gets David Melech. Amazingly, all three of them, Eliezer, Kalev, and Shaul, ask for something that's improper. And yet, in the end, Hashem takes care of them. Yiftach, though, makes a very similar statement. He says, when I, when I go out to war, I'm going to win. And the first thing that comes out of my house, when I come back, I'm going to give to God. But he's not. He's struck with tragedy. Eliezer, Kalev, and, and Shaul are not. Why are they fortunate while well, he's not? Rabbi Franz is a beautiful chat. He says, when it comes to Shaduchim, when it comes to marriage, marriage is one of those things we have to try. And we have to put in a lot of our effort. But sometimes amazing things happen. Clear blue sky, nobody would have expected this, that, or the other thing to happen. And Pitom, they find the right match. Tons of stories. Story about a person who was waiting in the lobby of a, of a hotel, ends up meeting a girl. He thinks it's his date. Turns out it's not his date. Beautiful. I, you can see it all the time. Someone ends up in a, in a camp and expect it, meets the person, boom. They were supposed to be in a different place. It just happens. That's the amazing thing at Shaduchim. But what Yiftach is doing is Yiftach is saying, I'm giving a, a gift to God. 
says it, my friend, when it comes to things like that, when it comes to something that is not a shidduch, which needs the help of God often, you, you have to plan a little bit better. Don't make a, a, a casual statement like that. You never know what is going to happen. And so that's possibly. But we're still stuck with the story. What, why is the story here? What does the story teach us? Why, and Neil, who, what does he have to do with anything? Take a look at the last, the Rashi in the bottom of the page. Rashi says, Kiryat Sefer, Raboteinu Amru, Eilo lachot shenishtakhu b'mei evlo shalmoshech, chazirat Neil ben Knaz ben Pilpulo. This is an amazing thing. He says that the Chazal tell us that when Moshe Benu died, there were a lot of halachot that were forgotten, perhaps 1,700 even. And it is Atniel ben Knaz that comes and says, I'm going to restore it. Kiryat Sefer, it's book town. Why is it book town? It's book town because that's exactly what you need here. You need someone who's going to come along and has the ability answer all these questions. Now, Yeshua doesn't answer all these questions. What happens when Moshe dies? Yeshua says, Yalla, we got to go do what we got to do. This is what has to happen. We're going to fight. We're going to conquer. We're going to do the next step. It's a beautiful thing. Except the Jewish people are transitioning now. They conquered the land. Now they have to live in it. Says Rabbi Michael Hatton, something beautiful. He says, you know what happens when you're moving into this next step? There is the fear, it's, and it's a tremendous fear. There is a tremendous fear that perhaps what's going to happen is you're going to reach a point where instead of being able to r- raise yourself up, be able to come to the next level, you're going to plateau. That will eventually happen. That's all of Sefer Shoftim and beyond. But Atniel says, I'm going to be mechadesh something. Yes, Yoshua took us to this level. But there are going to be new questions that are going to come up. Questions of what do you do? How do you live in the land? How do you settle the land? You need someone, a bookman. You need someone, an intellectual. You need someone, Bipilpulo, with the wit and the sharpness and the wisdom to answer questions. Says Rabbi Hatton, that is the introduction of Neil Ben Knast. And he says, perhaps that's why this story finds its way into here. It's not chronologically here, but as the new generation or the next stage rather is happening, the Jewish people are moving into this new stage of living in the land. They need to know that they have a leader. He's a warrior. He can fight. He can defeat Kiryat Sefer, but he also is a tremendous Talmud Chacham. And he is someone who's going to be able to answer their questions and help them not maintain the status quo, but he's going to be someone who's going to help them raise the bar and help them succeed to grow into the best that they can be. And interestingly enough, we're going to meet him again because he is the first of the Shoftim. Okay, let's take a look at Pasuk Yudchat because the story, though, gets a little stranger. So she, she comes and um, she tries to, uh, she wants to convince him. She was hoping that her husband will go and talk to Kalev and say, this is not working. We're in the Eretz negative. This is not ideal land to live in, uh, but that doesn't happen. So she gets permission says the Barbanel, uh, if if he he should be the one to go, but since he's opting out, she says, fine, I'll go. And she goes and she falls 
says what's going on. So what what in the world is doing? She's falling off the she's falling off the the, the donkey. Why? So Barbanel says, why, why can't she ask on top of the donkey? So he says, well, I Maybe she had to kiss her father's feet to say, Abba, I need this chesed. Not sure. Or maybe she wanted to show her dad, Ah, but do you know what I was doing? I was so wrapped up in my bodedut. I'm meditating and, and wondering and struggling with this thing. I barely even noticed I was on the donkey. I fell off the donkey. Then when he asks, what do you need? She says, I need a bracha. Why? Because I live in the Negev and there's no water there. Perhaps a simpler answer is she wants to draw his attention. When she falls off the donkey, Kalev doing whatever he's doing, all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, my daughter is here. Right? This is not so dissimilar from what our children do. Our children want to talk to us. We don't answer. So what happens? They, they do things to get our attention. Maybe like the waving sign, the poking, the tapping, all things to get their attention. So she just fell off the donkey and he was like, wait, oh, wait, she probably needs me. Stop. Time out. Yeah. How can I help you? So also possibly, it is interesting that this story does sound a little bit like the story of Rivka when she comes and meets, yeah, meets with Eliezer, when she comes and meets Yitzhak for the very first time. She falls off the camel. Similar, there, it's she's in awe. Is it possible that Achsa is in awe of her father? Her father is such a wonderful and, and, and tremendous Talmud Chacham. It's a possibility also. But what does she say? She says, give me a bracha. I need water. So she get, he gives her what? A bunch of different wells and springs. And by giving it to her, what happens? She is now blessed with the water source necessary to be successful. Okay? Amazing. What's going on here? Is there perhaps more to the story than just this? So if you look at the bottom left corner, you'll see that there are two animals there. The donkey... And the camel. Yes, I had a little bit of fun with picking out the uh, the graphics there. The donkey versus the camel. What's the difference between the donkey and the camel? Of, uh, ignoring Aladdin and his pushing, but the camel is the desert animal. If you want to go a long distance, that's what the camel is meant for. I need to get from Mesopotamia. I'm going to Egypt. I'm going to probably go through the land of Israel. Yeah, I need a camel. That's the best uh, the best animal to take. A donkey? What's a donkey for? A donkey is an animal that you use for shorter trips. Maybe you could still be going in intercity, going from Beit Shemesh to Jerusalem. A donkey might work. I don't need a camel for that. But it's a short distance type animal. Rabbi Hatton says something unbelievable. He says, what was she trying to say to her father? Saying right now, because the fact that I'm on this donkey represents the fact we're not settled. We're not. I'm still traveling from one place to the next. We don't have a home. Once I have a home, I don't need the donkey anymore. I'm going to be bound to my ancestral piece of land. I'm going to work my land. I'm going to be living in my land and then using the surrounding areas. Not traveling back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. What is the significance then of this whole story? And why does it find itself here? Perhaps it's 
the continuation of Kalev. If Kalev said in Parag Yudalid, why are you not, we have to do this. I'm going for Hebron. I'm a fighter. I'm going to do and go, and I'm not going to stop. And I, I'm not going to accept that this is where the land is, but I'm going to continue to, to, to conquer. Perhaps Achsa is saying the same thing. Abba, you got Hebron, but we need to take more. We need to become the owners. We need to become the Balabatim of our land. Says of Ahatan, that is the message of this story. And now we move on to the last part of our Perek. It is, I, I was very, very torn. Do I read the Psukim? Do I not read the Psukim? If I read these Psukim, does that set a precedent that I have to read all the Psukim for the next almost three years? We don't get an opportunity to say this Perek we're going to learn topically. But I decided that it is important to read these Psukim. I'm not committed to what will be in the future, but at least for this week, I'm going to read all the psukim. I think there's a couple important things to note. If you read through the prakim, if you even just look through the prakim, you'll notice that Paraktet Vav is very long. And the prakim of some of the other shvatim are much shorter. Now, if you look on the pie chart, just let to do this today. If you look at the pie chart on the slide, it's a total number of cities in Eretz Yisrael. There are in total 224 cities that the Jewish people conquer in the land of Israel. 224. Yehuda has 112. Even if you're not good at math, you probably could look at the pie chart and say, wait a second, Yehuda has 50% of the cities. Naphtali has 19, Asher has 22, Yisachar 16, Zulun 12, Shimon 17, Binyamin 26. That is how the cities break in the in Eretz Yisrael proper. Why is it that he has half of the cities? It's a little bit strange. Okay. Now, also, if you take a look at this map, um, which is not so super clear, but what we see is that there are five, there are 12 Interesting. There are 12 sub-regions in the Nachla of Yehuda. 12. Interesting. There are 12 Shvatim. And there are five major regions. There's the mountains in the middle. There is the Judean desert, which is along the Dead Sea. There is the coast, the coast over here by the Mediterranean, Ashdod, Gat, the Gaza Strip and above. Um, there is the Negev, the southern area with places like Beersheba. And then there's the valley, the valley over here. Now, this is awesome. Could, could not have time, planned this any better um, if I if I wanted. It is Sunday of Cholomoed. I'm recording this um, a little bit late. But um, this afternoon, we didn't really have anything to do with our family. We were debating. We decided, you know, it's a chill day. Let's just take them to Ben and Jerry's. It's Badats, Mahadrin, everything. It's an easy stop. Okay, it's a 40-minute drive there, 40-minute drive back. But where did I drive? I drove from Beit Shemesh through the entire area of the Shvela. And some of the cities, in fact, that we're going to see, and these Psukim are in the Shvela area. It is just a beautiful, flat valley that is perfect for farming. In fact, one of the amazing things is that when you leave Beit Shemesh and you hit the, I think it's the 383, it's the highway that goes out to, towards Ashdod and Ashkelon, for long stretches, you actually don't see any cities, you don't see any homes. What do you see? Just tons of grass, tons of farmland. It's stunning. It is an absolutely amazing area. So we have five regions, all kinds of different weather and all kinds of different um, topography. 
We have 112 cities and we have 12 re- sub-regions. What's the deal with that? So I'm going to ask you, as I read these psukim, very, very, very quickly, I want you to take notice and just see if there are any cities that you're like, wait a second, I know that city's name. And uh, hopefully we'll have an answer for all of this as we conclude at the end. These are the the nachla of the children of Yehuda. We're starting in the southern region. We have a lot of chatzors in the land of Israel. Um, if you want to have a lot of fun, you should get the Dat Mikra and read through this parak. You'll see, he actually tells you, this city is this ancient Arab city. This city, we're not sure exactly where it is. This city is in the region of Beersheba, five kilometers north, five kilometers south. It's fascinating. There are 29 cities in the Negev. Bashvela in the flat region, Yarmut, Adulam, Soho, Vazeka, Vesharayim. Sharayim, I just have to stop for a second. It is not clear. In fact, um, that Nikra does not say definitively that we know where Sharayim is, but Sharayim comes from the word Sha'ar, plural, two gates. There's one city in the region of the Shvela. It's the only city they found that way. That's Sharayim. It's two gates. In fact, I believe, according to one of the tour guides I got I, I spent time with, it's the only city in all of Israel that has two, two gates. Sharayim. Maybe that's why it's called that. Fourteen. Interesting, there are less cities here, but it could be because it's big farmland area. You're not going to have as many cities. Sixteen more cities. Nine more cities. Agadol Ugevul. Wow. Now we're on the coast now. Ashdod, Ekron, and Aza. Uvahar, Shamir, Vyatir, Vesoho, Vedanavikir, Yatsanahi, Devir, Vanav, Veshtemo, Vanim, Vegoshan, Vecholon, Vigilo, Arimachanas, Vechatsreyam, Arav, Duma, Veshan, Vianim, Vetapua, Vafeka, Vachutma, Vekiriat Arba, Hichavron. We're in the mountains. With Sior, Arim, Tesha, Vachatsem, Maon, Carmel, Vazifa, Yuta, Vizel, Yakte, Am, Vizanoach, Hakain, Givavitim, Nari, Messer, Vachatsem, Chalchu, Beit Sur, Gedur, Umarad, Beit Anot, El Tacon, Arim, Shesh, Vachatsem, Kiriat Balti, Kiriat Yarim, Varabarim, Stein, Vachatsem. Again, we're moving through the mountains towards Yushalayim, Vavidarbita, Rabab, Mitinus, Chacha, Vahagnivshan, Yarmel, Ben Gedi, Arim, Shesh, Vachatsem. Again, we're in the area of Bai, Yam HaMelach. The Yavusi area of Jerusalem was not conquered and stayed that way until 
Ad Hayomazel. What are some of the cities that might stick out? Dumona, Be'er Sheva, Eshtol, Tzarai, Yarmut, Soho, Azeka, Sharain, Gedeira, Lachish, Ashtod, Aza, Kiryat Arba, Kiryat Yarim, and Gedi. Those are the ones quickly that stuck out to me. You might have found other ones as well. What exactly is going on here? Why is it that, that we know these places? Why is it that these places stuck around for so many years? And we're still using these names to borrow from the Psukim Ad Hayomazeh. Rabbi Hatton says something beautiful. He suggests isn't this exactly what, 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 what's special about Eretz Yisrael? For so many thousands of years, the Jews were gone. Even the Arab cities that they, that they named, the places that the Jews were going to, they were based on what? They were based on the names that were biblical. We have such a hold on this land. There's a place in our heart, but it also is a place on the map. The map hasn't forgotten the Jewish names in these places. Okay, it's a beautiful idea. But why hundred? Why is it 112 cities? Half of all the cities find themselves in Shevet Yehuda. And why is it that Shevet Yehuda has 12 regions? And why all the different topography, all the different uh, possibilities? A beautiful, beautiful possibility suggested by Rabbi Hatton is Yehuda's microcosm of the nation. Ultimately, Yehuda will become the nation. And when Yehuda becomes the nation, they are, they have a land that represents all of Israel. You could find every weather in Yehuda, you could find every weather just like that in all the land of Israel. 112 cities, 112 cities. It is exactly Israel because Yehuda is the representation of the Jewish people. It is the representation of Eretz Yisrael. And that is the end of Parag Tedfav. And so what we find ourselves with is Yehuda is settled to the most part. Their land is, is laid out. Of course, who's going to come next? If we start with Yehuda, Yosef has to be next. Next week, we'll take a look at Parag Ted Zion and perhaps Yud Zion as well. We'll take a look at the land of Yehuda. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful week. And keep walking in the ways of the prophet.